Hey, good morning, Highland Park. It is, it is great to be with you today. And uh, I got to go with our uh, students, high school students, uh, to Chicago this past week. And it was actually the 15th time I've been on this trip to Chicago and uh, with our students doing this mission week. And when I go now, it's just a collage of memories and new ex experiences as well. But I think of all these students who have gone uh, before them. And in, in my mind, I can't keep straight who went where. In my mind, I just took this giant trip with 100 students on it, um, and they all were there at the same time, because I was like, when was, when was Stephanie there, and when was Haley, and when was David, and when was Dewan? And, and I, they were, it was just all the same to me. And, um, but it's great, because when we take our students, we basically partner with two um, organizations, First Christian Church. Um, I'll tell a little bit more about them later, but they've been so good to us, we stay there at their facility. Uh, but beyond that, they've just become great friends of ours and helped us in our ministry here, probably more than you know. And I and the Jensi and Steve on staff have become really great friends of mine. And I call them quite often and say, hey, this is going on. How would you deal with this? Or what do you think about this? And then we also help By the Hand Club for Kids. For you old schoolers, that's Kids Club. Same organization, little more specific name. And, uh, and, and they take children who um, are considered at risk and the most vulnerable in the city. And they say, that's who we want to be part of our program. And they bring them in to an after-school environment where they have tutoring, where they have chapel, where they have people caring for them, checking, do they need a new uh, eyeglass prescription? Do they need to go to the doctor? Do they need a coat? Does their sister need something? Do their parents need something? How can we help them? And so it's holistic ministry. And what the city of Chicago has found is it actually works when you care about the whole kid. Because when you only care about the academic part, that helps a little bit. But when you care about the whole kid, what they've seen is the grades go through the roof. And and everything about the situation gets better. So the city of Chicago is coming back and saying, hey, we like what you're doing. Can you do it again? And they did. And we like what you're doing. Can you do it again? And we'll sell you this facility for a dollar. That doesn't happen in Chicago. And so now they have five campuses uh, in Chicago. When I first went and visited um, in 2002, and there was a couple years where we have not been there, but in 2002 was the first year um, uh, there were 14 kids, and today I think there's about 1,200 who are part of their program, and they would tell you they're just getting started. <laughs> and I mean, they are, the, the foot is on the accelerator big time in that organization. It's really fun just to see what all of they're doing. And so our kids got to come and just be part of that experience, got to tutor children, um, share with them, help the teacher, serve dinner. They serve them a dinner every night, and just... I did some physical projects, some cleaning projects, and so we stayed busy all week, and I was really proud of our students. Uh, there just weren't complaints. There was just hard work. I never had to say, hey, why are you quitting? Keep working. I mean, they were just getting after it and doing a really, really great job, and so I was really proud, and I know that they learned a lot. In the midst of all of that, you know that we've been training lots of Highland Park folks to share, to share the gospel. We call it three circles. It's just this little way. And um, I'll be sharing that a little bit in the weeks to come if you've missed that. Uh, but our students had an opportunity to do this. And I think we shared the gospel, Matt, with how many? 29? 23 people, different people throughout the week. Some that we had just met, some on the trip there and all that. Um, but as a result, four students um, decided they wanted to follow Jesus and which was just a huge blessing. So we got to be part of the salvation of four children, and what we did was kind of hand that off 
to the by the hand staff and their spiritual director and who will be in network with their pastors because they don't all go to the same church necessarily. And so we'll be visiting more and talking to them more and their parents and uh, the kids were ready to be baptized and wanted to jump in. So we were just so thankful that we got to have a part of their spiritual lives as well this week and we know that makes a great difference. And so it was great and you'll get to hear just a couple of testimonies from the kids here in just a little bit. And uh, before we do that though, we wanna jump back into Revelation. I got to hear Dave's sermon uh, online and uh, really appreciated that. And my sermon just kind of, uh, picks up there. Uh, if you have your if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation. And we've been in this series where we've been looking at this book of Revelation that sometimes feels like a haunted house and it feels spooky and people try to stay away. But our desire has been to help it feel a little bit more like a welcoming home because God has stuff that He wants to say to us through this book that is really important and really wonderful. And the two big themes we see all throughout the book is number one, Jesus powerfully wins. It's not even close. It's, it's a demolition. He completely wins. And so that's great. And the second great theme that we see in Revelation is that we need to be ready. And sometimes being ready looks a lot like hanging on and not giving up. So we have to be ready. And uh, we know that there are questions that come up, and we thought it would be fun during this series to allow you to even ask a question as I'm preaching. So you'll see a number down there at the bottom of the screen, and if at any point during the sermon you want to text that uh, text a question in that relates to this sermon, by the way, um, because I'm not smart enough to answer anything else. Uh, but if it relates to this sermon uh, from the text, then uh, we'll take a few of those questions and try to answer those at the very end if we're able to do that. And so uh, we come today to Revelation, and when you look at chapters 12 through 19, kind of this big uh, chunk of scripture, we're not going to try to cover that all today, but you see all of these things that are a little bit concerning. We see dragon, beast, a blasphemous woman riding on one of the beasts. I mean, what is going on with this picture here? And next week, we're going to take a closer look at Revelation 12 because it connects so well to the Easter message, and I'm excited about that. So actually, today, we're going to just move beyond that just a little bit, and we're going to focus on these wicked characters that pop up in the book of Revelation and try to figure out what is going on. And in a couple weeks, we're going to deal a little bit more with what does it mean for Satan to be bound in our lives? Because I bet you that you felt the influence of Satan at some point in your life. Have you not? You've seen that the curse is active in our world. You've seen the brokenness in our world. But you've also seen God's power overcome what Satan wants to do in your life and in the life of your friends and in the life of this church. And so what does it mean for Satan to be bound? And uh, I, I do want to just paint this quick picture for you. Think of a, of a dangerous big dog that's trying to get to somebody, but he's on a chain and somebody's holding that chain. Can that dog cause damage? Absolutely. But does that dog have free reign? Uh-uh. And I think that's a little bit of the picture that Revelation gives us of Satan. That dog can cause damage, and we felt that. But does Satan just have free reign to do whatever he wants, and is he in ultimate control? No, definitely not. Revelation paints that picture pretty clearly as well. And so let's get to our text, because we have all of these images, and I just want to jump in as we read. So we're going to look at Revelation chapter 13, and I'm going to just read these first 10 verses here, and we're going to talk about them. And um, here we go. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. 
And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. And on each head was a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Quick pause. If you've been here with us 42 months, that's lingo for a really tough time. It's the same thing as three and a half years. It's the same thing as, as what Daniel talks about, time, times, and a half time. It's this, when, when they heard 42 months, they were going like, uh-oh, buckle up. It wasn't necessarily talking about a literal time span here. It's talking about this period of time where there's going to be suffering. They were thinking Elijah. They were thinking of Jerusalem during the fall when Rome conquered it. They were thinking of Jesus' ministry. All these three and a half years meant, uh-oh, buckle up, okay? And, and we have established that the dragon is Satan. So we know that. And we're still trying to figure out who are these beasts. Okay, back to verse 6. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls, here we keep seeing this phrase, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So if the dragon is Satan then the beast is something influenced by Satan. Something, whatever Satan wants, the beast is ready to do it, and the beast has some power. In fact, the beast looks a lot like the dragon. Is it a specific government? Dave mentioned this last week. I mean, some people have looked at our world and said, boy, it sure looks like the beast is this political government, and it reminds me of Hitler's Third Reich. And others have seen the beast and said, but it sure looks like Stalin's Soviet Union. It sure looks like the Khmer Rouge and what we saw in Cambodia. And I'm thinking of my friends who live right down the street who got out of Cambodia the day before the Khmer Rouge and two to three million people just innocently slaughtered. They beat it by a day. They would say, boy, it sure looked like the Khmer Rouge. It looked like the beast to me. Many saw the beast during the Atlantic slave trade. And many others still see the beast clause today. And we look around and, uh, for countries that are arrogant against the Lord and doing their own thing and conquering the oppressed. And sometimes it's easy to begin looking and pointing fingers all over the place. And I'll tell you, I'm concerned about a country that seems to not value life, including the unborn, including the elderly, including the vulnerable, including people who may not be like us. And I'm concerned about many countries, and I think as we read Revelation, we have to keep going back and thinking, how would the first people have heard this? Because God typically writes scripture 
so that when people first hear it, they get it. They may not get all of it. We still don't. But we get enough of it to understand. And the first century Christians would have heard this, and they would have thought, I know exactly what the beast looks like. It looks a whole lot like the Roman government because they're taking, they took my brother right into the Colosseum, and he was torn apart by lions. And they took my daughter and impaled her and lit her on fire to light the way for the emperor to walk down. I've seen the beast. They would have said, if, if you're only talking about something way far off, then I can't imagine how bad that must be. Because they would say, I think we've seen the beast right here. And I believe that the best interpretation of Revelation says the beast isn't just one government that rises up at some point. The beast is all governments that rise up against the Lord. That any power, that any entity with power that kicks dirt in the face of God and says, worship me instead, people, and oppresses those who are down. That seems to be the beast. But there's not just one beast. Did you catch that? There's a second beast, and the text describes the beast, did you get this, dressed like a lamb. Uh-oh. Who's dressed like, who is the lamb? Jesus. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is the lamb. And so if this beast is dressed like the lamb, what is he trying to do? He's trying to deceive the nations. He's trying to say, worship me, I am the lamb, but we know he has very different motives. So we be, better be very careful in our worship. And, I, and, and I'm not just talking about musically, make sure you're on key when you sing, or a lot of us are toast, right? I'm talking about to whom do you give your heart? That's worship. Is it to God? Does God get first place in your heart and anything else gets kind of added underneath that? Or is there something else that, is, that you've given your worship to? Because that becomes the beast. When we worship anything other than God, and when we look around, there's many beasts vying for our worship. So there's four things that I just want to briefly share with you that are truths from Revelation. And in your uh, sermon page, in your bulletin, if you want to follow along and write these down to help you as you kind of look back and study through this, the first thing is this. The dragon's power is dangerous to us, but not to God. And you could add, not to those with God. And I understand that the dragon's schemes may cause us physical and emotional harm, but ultimately the dragon doesn't have power over us because ultimately the dragon does not have power over God. And that is good news. But like that dog on a leash we ought not just walk up and think it can't hurt us. We ought to be very cautious in our lives. And the text says there's a mark placed on the followers of the beast. And here we get into this question about, well, what is 666? Are these like numbers? If I roll the dice at the family board game and it shows 666, does that mean I'm doomed for life and hell? Or what is this? Uh, I, think, I think God would say, like, chill out just a little bit here. Um, I'm trying to convey something. And without getting into all the details, I think the first uh, church, the first Christians, when they heard 666, they would have done a little bit of literary homework in their mind, which was fairly common in that time. And if you add up each number equivalent to a letter, you get the name Nero for 666. That would have resonated with the people. 
if they would have been thinking about not just Nero being the only beast or the Antichrist or something else, but Nero being one of many who opposes God, then I think that's probably what they would have heard. And, and then I hear people like, well, what about if you get marked with this or if you get a tattoo um, then of 666 or like a chip implant into your head or whatever, and, and we get really worked up about technology and such. And again, I'm just thinking that the first Christians would not have been thinking about credit cards, but they would have still been concerned about what is the mark of the beast? Well, I think it's the opposite of the mark of the righteous. You know, earlier in the book, it talks about the righteous are marked. And we know that that doesn't happen like on our skin. Like when we baptize people, we don't get out the little water tattoo thing and put it on the 777 or whatever on them. Um, But have you been marked with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, you have. Do you have a seal on your life? Absolutely, if you follow Jesus. And that seal protects you from what the enemy wants to do in your life. And do people who have opposed God and rejected him, do they have a mark of the beast? Yeah, they do. And that mark of the beast looks a lot like the marks of sin and rebellion against God. In chapter 14, verse 14, it says this, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. It's interesting that it doesn't just say, I saw the son of man. It was like a son of man. It was was like Jesus, but it's not how I remembered Jesus being, John is saying, because I remember Jesus, you know, fishing with us and eating bread and being one of the guys. I mean, a very different guy, but he looked like the guys. But now I'm looking at Jesus and I'm seeing the son of man who clearly is also the son of God. And it's frightening. And it says he has the sickle. And imagine this long metal-shaped piece that you can go through the harvest and you can take out the bad plants and you can judge. And it's, it's a vision that John is seeing of Jesus has ultimate authority. So is the devil and the dragon dangerous? Yeah, but not to God. God is dangerous to the dragon. Second truth, God commissions a global rescue. Dave mentioned this last week as well, and it's something if you read through the book, you catch it, that there's several different times in the book it it mentions something along the lines of every nation, tribe, language, people. But in chapter 13, it says the beast wages war against every tribe, tongue, nation, like everyone. It's global, and the beast is going after everybody regardless of where you live on this planet, and he targets Everyone, great, small, rich, poor, free, everyone. But the angel proclaims the gospel in chapter 14, verse 6, to who? Every tribe, tongue, nation. And Matt preached about back in chapter 7 when John is seeing at the very end of all of this, this grand worship service, and who's there? Every tribe, tongue, nation, people. So what's going on here? It's just saying this is global. That, peop- that the beast is warring against the people globally. The gospel proclaimed globally. All people have a chance to respond to this great message. Where we stayed at First Christian Church in Chicago, 
their story, if I can just summarize it, goes like this. They were a church in Inglewood in Chicago, um, and the church is really, really old, and I can't remember how old. They make us look really young. Um, 100 years? 120-year-old church. So they're old. They've been there a while. And uh, they were in, at the time, a fairly affluent and um, almost entirely white neighborhood in Chicago. And if you know how Chicago neighborhoods work, um, there's not meshing. It's usually one or the other, and the lines are way thicker than we would think about neighborhoods in Tulsa. That's unique. A little bit to Chicago. Um, But as the demographics of that neighborhood started to change in the 1950s, and as the schools started to change, and poverty came into the neighborhood, um, changes came into the neighborhood, um, and challenges came into the neighborhood, varying ethnic groups came into the neighborhood, and what happened was the phrase that we call white flight, um, that people who had been there started moving away, and for various reasons, um, but that was just the reality. And the church in the 1950s, um, the leaders of the church at that time didn't really like that. And they decided to move farther south to escape the changing neighborhood. And so they did in the late 50s. They moved south to their location now in South Chicago to a neighborhood where it had once been. It was very familiar again. Well, guess what happened in the 80s and 90s? Uh, you know how kind of urban sprawl works, and the neighborhood began to change again. And the elders began to talk about this and began to notice this. And the elders got together, and they actually declared something publicly that is pretty amazing. They said, when we moved in the 1950s, it was because of prejudice, and it was sin, and we won't repeat that mistake. Wow. Wow. And they, they said, you know, there's some good reasons to relocate a church building, but what we did was not a righteous and holy and good reason. And so they began to invest in their neighborhood, and they said, we're going to love all people who are around us. And they be, be, began trying to deal with that and figure out how do we include other people and how do we remove any barriers that might keep somebody from coming. And they've been working through all that. And they have been so helpful uh, in speaking to us in our neighborhood, because while maybe not quite as dramatic, this neighborhood has changed a lot in the last 20 years. And it'll change a lot more in the next 20 years, I'm sure. And we desire to be a church that loves all people, regardless. And we go back to the book of Revelation because God is interested in the whole earth. And it's a beautiful thing that we have here in many parts of America, where oftentimes the whole earth has come right to us. It's a wonderful opportunity for the church. And so our commitment is to love all people, uh, regardless of their ethnic background or socioeconomic background or young or old or wherever they may be. It is a great desire of our church to do that, not because we want to be politically correct, but because we want to honor the scriptures. That's our greatest goal is to honor God with this. There's a third truth, and it's right out of the text. This calls for patient endurance. You see this throughout the book of Revelation. And endurance is the commitment to not give up. Just don't give up. And the story of Revelation, and we see that this same story keeps being told in different ways throughout 
throughout the book of Revelation, but it is a story of God's people on earth, and Satan launches his attack against God's people, but God comes and he wins, and he always allows his people to escape what Satan wants to do in their lives and to endure till the very end when God wins. That story just keeps getting told again and again through the book. And we see it again right here. And God says, hang on. When we ministered to the kids at By the Hand Club in Chicago, uh, their situation is really intense. Because for every person on the planet, if you walk away from God, it will have devastating impact in your life, right? We've seen that. There is destruction every time we move away from God. For the kids that we get to work with at By the Hand, the difference between their life and, and maybe my life when I was a kid is if they walk away from the Lord, they might not see 20. And they, they may be in so much trouble that they just don't get a second chance. I, I probably could have messed up more often than I even did and had a few more extra chances, a little more buffer. And for their situation, often it is, follow Jesus, stick with these people here who love me and care for me, or join a gang and, and, or join a culture of just destruction and death. And we've seen that a number of times. Now that I've been there 15 times, I know stories of kids that were in one year and they dropped out because of the pressure to join a gang and then were dead the next year. The by-the-hand staff has been to too many funerals of kids that dropped out. So it's life or death. But the truth is, it's life or death for all of us. And if you come this morning in a difficult place in life, I'm telling you, my friends, we need you, like the church needs you, to hang on. That your faithful testimony to us might carry us through the next day or the next week or the next year when things in our life go south. And, and we need to see your faith enduring to the very end because that will encourage us and we can encourage each other with this. There's a fourth truth and it's a simple one. It's this. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Revelation 12, 11 says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. I have a little experiment I want to do, and I've asked a few people to help me. So if you guys can come on up, if, I, if like the first two rows, if, if you guys could come on up right there, over there, that would be great. And Josh, if you can bring that little trash can, here's what we're going to do. Okay, um, Tristan, Erica, right back here. You guys can just sit down kind of even with this right here, facing that way, okay? There we go. And Eric... Can you, can you pass these out? Everyone needs a piece of paper. Okay, the next row. Actually, can you guys scoot over this way a little bit? Slide over. Here we go. The floor, we could sweep it a little bit anyway with your pants, so that'll be great. All right. The next row, can I have just right here? Come on, three or four of you here real quick. All right. And then the next row on this front row right here, okay? Go ahead, Shelby, Macy. All right, you guys can come on up here. Go into that. You guys get to go to the back row. All right. Everybody needs a piece of paper, and I need you to wad up the piece of paper, okay? Okay. Now, pretend you are all in college, okay? And the teacher walks into class, and the teacher says, all right, class, um, welcome to Harvard. 
And um, if you flunk this class, you are kicked out of school because of your scholarship and because of how you got in. You have to do well in this class. And today, there is a test. The test is, can you make that piece of paper into this trash can, okay? If you make it into the trash can, you get an A. If you miss, you get a zero, F. Okay, that's the test for today, and then we'll come back again tomorrow. Okay, everybody at class, go ahead and shoot and see if you make it. Here we go. We're watching. Oh. Oh, that was a good shot, but you still missed. Um, Okay, how many people on the front row made it? All four of you. How many people in the second row made it? How many people in the back row made it? Oh, Levi, because he's a good shot. Nice. Good shot. Okay, so imagine if this played out, and then after they did this, I recorded the scores, and I said, okay, class, um, you're dismissed, and they left, and they came back the next day, and I said, okay, class, take out a piece of paper, um, you know, crumple it up into a ball, and, but by the way, you have to sit in the same place as you were yesterday, and we're going to take the test again. And then they came back the next day, and I said, okay, everybody come back, same seats, and we're going to take the test again. Come back next day, same seats, take the, text, uh, the test again. I think over time we would see that maybe people in the front row would miss every once in a while, but they're probably all getting A's. My guess is the people in the middle would do a little bit better on day two, and one or two of you might make it, but it would be kind of hit or miss, right? You would make some. If you kept getting that shot, you might get a little bit better. The people back here, you're going to struggle with your grades, right? Levi had a really good shot, but he's probably not going to make that every day. And, and then what if Dalton was in the class too? Dalton's up there. Dalton, from right there, I want you to try one shot, and everybody else might just watch your head. Here it comes. Dalton, ready? Okay, go, Dalton. A or F. Here we go. Oh, man. Nice shot. That was so close. So, if this was the test, then eventually what would happen in the classroom is that the back row might actually quit even trying. If you had missed 15 out of 15 on day 16, you're either trying really, really hard and frustrated, or you're just kind of like, whatever. This is kind of what we see in our society. See, the people back here are every bit as capable as the people in the front row. But sometimes life just deals you a difficult seating arrangement. And whether that be academics or family um, or emotions or health, it could be a lot of different things, even the the place where you were born. Um, Wherever that is, sometimes it's just more difficult. And as the church, what we do is we come in and we look around and we see Like what by the hand does is, okay, this crew is good. Um, This crew is kind of struggling. This this group is really struggling. That's who we want to help, not because they're less capable people, but because if we can take that trash can and move it a little bit closer, then it's going to help them succeed. Okay, you guys can sit down. Thank you. Good job. And good job, Dalton. Good job, Dalton, for almost ruining my whole object lesson. 
Next time, I'm going to give you a Kleenex. See how you do. <laughs> See how you do with that, buddy. Um, when we think about this spiritually, the truth is that it's like we're, we're down the block a couple blocks trying to throw a piece of paper a couple miles through the door, curve it around, come in, and be saved. That's kind of the spiritual object lesson to this because we can't do it. We can't have our sin erased on our own, and that's why Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins because we could not be forgiven on our own. We were dead. We were facing destruction. The dragon wins, but Jesus comes and he overcomes the dragon by his death on the cross, overcoming sin. And so for anybody who wants to find life and wants to know Jesus, the Bible says, repent and be baptized. That You believe in that when you come to Jesus that he erases your sin, removes it from you so you're not guilty, even though you couldn't make the shot, even though you couldn't do it on your own. And he will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the mark, the seal to help guide you in this life, God with you as you navigate this life. And things will still be tough, so we have to endure. And things, sometimes we'll know people who don't know the Lord, and we need to help them be ready, and we need to have an urgency and intensity about that every day of our lives. So uh, I want to invite up here a couple of the Megan and Cole who are going to share with us just a little bit more about the trip so you can get a little bit uh, more of a feel for that. So you guys come on up here. All right, go ahead. Hi, my name is Cole Jennings, and I had the opportunity to go to the Chicago Mission Experience this past week. And something that people don't think a whole lot about these serving mission trips is that it's not only a chance for you to develop your serving skills, but also just a chance to further your walk with Jesus Christ. And um, so you're not only helping other people, but it also helps you a lot as well. Um, one of the things that I discovered about myself, uh, I believe it was Wednesday night, so getting on later in the week, we had been doing devos every day and every night, had been uh, doing prayers and helping out with the kids, reading our Bibles, so we'd been really delving into the Word really uh, deeply that week, and I noticed that hearing stories like people from Sarah James, who is the project director at By the Hand and has been there for years and years, She's done absolutely amazing things for the by the hand and has put her whole life into God's plan for her life. I'm noticing that I'm not quite doing that as much as I should be, and I've always kind of put my plans before God's plans and then try to incorporate his plans into mine. So uh, after this week, I've noticed that, and I am now trying to put God's plan as my primary and then maybe do some of my plan if I can, if I have space for it. Um, so not only have I been able to help out these kids who have been at risk and just really hopeless like in the back row, um, but I have also been able to further my walk in Jesus Christ, and that is why going on these mission trips is so awesome. Hi, um, I'm Megan. I also had the opportunity to go on the Chicago mission trip where I got to work with at-risk children. And um, on this trip, I was really able to feel 
God's presence and spirit through me. And um, like I finally understood the urgency I have to share the gospel with as many people as possible. And um, just the importance of talking to um, random people that you meet in your community and how important it is to listen to what they have to say and um, how important it is just to be nice to everyone that you meet because you never know what they're going through. And while on this trip, I was able to understand and see um, that the group of people that I work best with, and that's people who are different than me and who need a little bit of extra help. Um, ever since I was 12 years old, I wanted to be a pediatric oncology nurse. But while on this trip, um, I was able, I felt a tug on my heart um, that from God telling me to use my future profession as a way to minister to those in need. And so now I now have a new mission for my life, and that's to um, love on everyone just as Jesus did and still does today. Thank you. This morning, if you would like someone to pray with you or to talk with you about how you can follow Jesus with your life, if you want to study baptism or you're ready to be baptized today because you want to submit your life to him, uh, because he has power over what Satan wants to do in your life, then we welcome you to do that during this next song. You're welcome to even come right up here to the front on this side over here. We'll have some folks who'd be glad to pray with you, talk with you, study with you, help you through. Uh, you can also mark that on your card if you would just like to get together with somebody and study this week. We'd be glad to do that as well with you. If you would, um, would you stand up with us?